What a privilege it is to worship the God of heaven. What a privilege it is to come together this morning to do that on this great day that He's given to us. If you're visiting with us, we're really thankful that you're here, that you can participate in this assembly with us and honor God. We are thankful for the worship that we've joined in together already, the opportunity to give of our means to support His cause, and especially the opportunity to remember His Son as we have. Beautiful prayer that Lorenzo prayed and the great songs that uh, were led by Micah and Stuart. We're thankful, we're thankful that we have the privilege to worship the God of heaven today. In any aspect of life, having great people on your team can make a difference. Especially if you want to win. If you don't care about winning, it may not make that much of a difference. But if you want to win, you want great people on your side. The great news for those who are Christians who are, who, and who are on God's side is that He is so on our side and is ready to help us and empower us to do that which is according to His will. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, the Apostle Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? God is for us. Who can be against us? In 1980, I became interested in a a young lady by the name of Sandy Sutton. There was a problem with that. I was living in Colorado and she was living in uh, Alabama, going to the University of Alabama at Tuscaloosa. And so I I arranged to fly down over my spring break as I was winding up college and visit Sandy in Tuscaloosa. And uh, it was a good week for us to spend together. I met her parents that week and some other things. But one thing that's etched on my mind among the many that occurred that that week was uh, she had to work one day, and so she sort of handed me off to one of her friends to take care of me for an afternoon. Well, her friend happened to be a forward on the Alabama basketball team. The name was Maurice Myers, the 6'7 forward, sometimes listed at 6'10, but he's somewhere between 6'7 and 6'10. He was a tall dude. And the way he decided to entertain me was to take me to Coleman Coliseum and uh, play some basketball with him on court. So that was a little bit thrilling for me. And then, to add to that, uh, Bear Bryant had his football team at spring practice, and it started to rain really hard, and he decided to let them, for um, you know training purposes, come into Col- Coleman Coliseum and play basketball that day. So before I knew playing basketball with the Alabama basketball team, with the Alabama basketball player, plus players from the football team, including a couple of All-Americans and one one that went on to be Hall of Fame in the NFL. So, really good athletes. I was just this poor white boy from Colorado. I'm telling you all of this to say, Maurice Myers, the basketball player, was on my team. And I have never been so thankful (laughs) to to have somebody on my team. We enjoyed that day. We want God on our team. We want Him on our team. We want Him on our side. And really, we're not going to make it through this life and make it to heaven without Him. We face so many difficulties, so many trials and tribulations of an emotional nature, a spiritual nature, a physical nature, nature, 
family problems, political problems in this world, economic problems, big problems, little problems, all sorts of trials. And yet, what does it mean for God to be with us? Paul said, if God is for us, who can stand against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If God did not spare His own Son to help us out, what is He going to hold back? He's going to give us everything. Everything that we need to go to heaven and to live a life on this earth that pleases Him and glorifies Him. No, we may not win every little skirmish and every little battle, but He will see to us, see to it that we win the victory. If He is on our side, who can be against us? God loves to give His people who trust Him and love Him, He loves to give His people victory. God promised to do so to His people in the Old Testament, the Israelites. We're looking in the book of Deuteronomy in our Bible class this morning we were, and notice again with me in Deuteronomy chapter 20 now, as Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, and he tells them as they're about to enter the land of Canaan, he says, when you go out to battle against your enemies, and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you are, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be, when you are on the verge of battle, that the priest shall approach and speak to the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, nor be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to save you. Our enemies today are spiritual. Satan and the forces of evil that surround us in this world and seem to dominate our culture, our society, and most parts of the world overall. We are fighting a fierce battle with the forces of evil. But God is with us. The forces of evil intrude in our lives in a lot of different ways. Subtle ways sometimes that we don't even realize. And overwhelming ways that we can barely deal with. And yet God is with us as He was with the Israelites, as we'll see. Later on in the history of Israel, God instructed Solomon to build a temple for him according to the design the pattern that he had given David. And Solomon builds that temple. He dedicates it, Second Chronicles chapter 6, with a long prayer to God about how the temple would be a holy place for God's presence to dwell and for God's people to interact with God. Solomon prays in Second Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 34, when your people go out to battle against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to you toward this city, which you have chosen, and the temple, which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. What I want you to notice is the connection between prayer and winning the battle. Our theme this year at Eastside is what Jesus said, My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. His house is a house of prayer. We are His house. 
We are to be people of prayer and we're to be victorious. See the connection between praying in the temple and toward the temple and victory. You see that in this verse? Solomon says, when they pray toward your presence in the temple, please God, hear and maintain them their cause. Give them the victory. We find that faithful kings in Old Testament times relied on God in prayer, and God was on their side and gave them the victory. There are several instances of this in Old Testament history. I'm going to share with you just two as we're thinking about this and then apply some principles that we learn to us a little bit later on. But in, I, I'd like you to go in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter uh, 20. And notice with me King Jehoshaphat, a good king of Judah. We read about the situation that he's facing in Second uh, Chronicles 20 and verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab the people of Ammon and others with them, and we find out later they're the Edomites. And if you're paying attention in class this morning, if you're in the auditorium, you know why it is that Moab and Ammon and the Edomites are still hanging around and can attack God's people because God purposely left them in their territories as Israel was entering the land. But anyway, you have these nations and they come and they do battle against Jehoshaphat. Some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Harazan, Tamar, which is in, in Gidai. Jehoshaphat feared and sent himself to seek the Lord and proclaim to fast through all, throughout all of Judah. So what happened is, Jehoshaphat hears, Oh, this great force is coming against you. And the first thing he does is turn to God. What do we do? What do we do when we see some great problem coming toward us? Well, we, we fret and we don't sleep and we complain. We tell our neighbor about it. Is that what we do? May I say to you that the first thing we need to do is pray to God. He must be not our last resort, but our first inclination. I, I, I am concerned that so much of the time in our personal lives, we have problems of all sorts, situations that we have to deal with, things that stress us, and the last thing we do is to think to pray. And it needs to be the first. Jehoshaphat is commendable because he turned to God immediately. And he prays to God. The people gather. Jehoshaphat says to them, down in verse 12, uh, as he, uh, he, he encourages them, I should say, and says, we need to turn to God. And then he prays, down in verse 12, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. God, I can't handle this problem. We can't handle this problem. But our eyes are on you to take care of this for us. The Lord answers prayer. In verse 15, a prophet of God, speaking now for God, 
says, Listen, all you of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And when the Lord is with you, it doesn't matter who's coming against you. The might of the army that you're facing, of the problem that you're facing, however insurmountable it might seem, if God is with you, you'll be victorious. In His way and by His design. Not your way, not your design. His way. His design. And so they go out. Just kind of where He told them to go. And what happens, of course, that they do gain a mighty, mighty victory. The army of Israel goes out not fearing, not with trepidation. You know how they go out. Many of you know this story. Amazing story. The the army of Israel goes out singing. Singing praises to God as they go. Singing praises to God for giving them the victory that hasn't even been fought yet. They go out singing. And they conquer overwhelmingly with the help of God all of these nations that have come up against them. So, here's two things I would suggest. When you're facing big issues in your life or little issues in your life, I would really recommend, even as the Bible says and as Jehoshaphat shows us, do two things. Do two things. Pray and sing. And you will find, you will find that, the, first of all, the problem is not near as big as you thought it was. But secondly, whatever it is, God will help you handle it. God will help. We come a little later in the history of Israel in the Second Chronicles chapter 32. I'd like to turn over there. To another good king of Judah by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was king of Judah 700-ish B.C. Um, it was a time when the Assyrian Empire had risen great power, and was just gobbling up countries right and left and made a great effort to gobble up Judah. They conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, you might remember. They took them in 722 B.C. Now, a little later, they're trying to conquer Judah. So, as the story opens up, Second Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 1, these deeds of faithfulness, for these deeds of faithfulness. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. Then Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem. He consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs, which were outside the city. and that might help. He didn't want, want Sennacherib to find water available outside the city if he came to besiege Jerusalem. But notice a couple of things. Sennacherib is besieging 
the cities, the fortified cities of, of Judah. And Hezekiah, I don't know how clever he was, but you don't have to have the wisdom of Solomon to figure out that we're next, sitting here in Jerusalem. And so he begins to make preparations for Sennacherib to attack them as well. Sennacherib's attacks were successful in the fortified cities of Judah. Verse 9, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. He and all his forces laid siege against Lachish. But he sends a delegation, if you will, to Jerusalem. And this story is recorded in three places in Scripture. It's recorded in 2 Kings and it's recorded in Isaiah. And it's like the Synoptic Gospels. We get a little bit different information, better information, maybe by comparing the three. Time to do that today. But in essence, what happens is Sennacherib sends Hezekiah at least one and probably more threatening letters saying, you know what, your God can't stop us. He didn't stop us against all the other nations. The other nations' gods didn't stop us. Your God can't stop us. In fact, we're taking Lachish right now, by the way. He's not going to stop us from taking Lachish. And He's not going to stop us from taking you. And in fact, Sennacherib did take Lachish, a fortified city of Judah. And had a carving made of the event he put in his palace, which you are now looking at on the screen. This is in the British Museum. Uh, it actually takes up a whole room of this huge carving, carving of the deeds of Sennacherib and around his time. And if you look closely, I'm told by scholars that this, these are Israelites being driven away from Lachish with all of their goods and their families and their children away from the conquest of Lachish, which is occurring as Sennacherib is threatening Jerusalem and Hezekiah. Sennacherib left other uh, information about his conquests. And he wrote a bunch of it down on this stone. It's called the Taylor Prism, which is also in the British Museum. And on this prism, Sennacherib says a lot about the great stuff he did. Uh, he says, for instance, that he uh, took tribute from Hezekiah, which the Bible says he did as well. Hezekiah paid him tribute in order to try to keep him from not attacking Jerusalem. But he doesn't say he, take Jer he took Jerusalem. In fact, he doesn't take Jerusalem, even according to his own account. He says he shut up Hezekiah in Jerusalem like a caged bird. And indeed, it was besieged. And Hezekiah was shut up like a caged bird. But Jerusalem didn't fall. And in fact, Judah won the battle. How? How in the world did Judah win a battle having all their fortified cities already taken? Jerusalem virtually standing alone. How could that happen? As Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. As we look at the record in 2 Chronicles 32 in verses 7 and 8, Hezekiah tells the people, Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. <laughs> He's not talking about his army. He's talking about the Lord's army. He says, With him is the arm of flesh, 
but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. When Sennacherib then threatened Jerusalem and insulted the God of heaven, Hezekiah takes the letter that Sennacherib has sent him and he spreads it out before the Lord. And he basically is saying to God, God, here's my problem. See, <laughs> here's my problem. Here's what, here's what Sennacherib says he's going to do to us. He spreads it out before the Lord and he prays. His prayer is found partly in 2 Chronicles, but also in 2 Kings chapter 19. And in verse 14, Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread out the message before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, You are God, You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And then down in verse 19, he prays, Save us. Save us from His hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. And what happened that night was this. There was an enormous army of Assyria surrounding Jerusalem. And the Lord God sent His angel and destroyed 185,000 Assyrians that were surrounding Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And Sennacherib goes back home. And he never comes to Jerusalem again. He dies in his land. Because the Lord fought the battle. These are just two examples from the Old Testament. Great examples of many that we could look at of this principle that when people relied on God, trusted Him, did His will, and put themselves in His hands, He would take care of them and fight their battles. This is the level of trust that we need today in the God of heaven. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us and we are for Him, ultimate victory is certain. Let's now go back over to Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In the context of that statement, Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 is where that is. The Apostle Paul will later say that we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. It doesn't matter what is thrown at us. It doesn't matter what it is that we're facing. Look at the statements as he goes forward. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
Verse 37, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. The Lord fights for us. And if He is for us, who can stand against us? The lead up to that is some instruction and teaching about prayer. I don't know if you've ever made this connection, but it's really clear in the context. Back up in the text to verse 26. What led up to Paul saying all of this? Verse 26. The Spirit also helps with our weaknesses. We do not know what we should pray as we ought. For the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We don't even know what we're supposed to pray or how we're supposed to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps us out there. And He, if you will, puts our prayer to God as it should be from our hearts. Now He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The prayer that the Holy Spirit will help you with and will intercede for you on is the prayer you pray according to the will of God. And He will take that prayer to God according to His will. And we know that all things work together For those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Who do you have to be to have this kind of pull with God? For God to be on your side and fight your... Who do you have to be? You have to be the person who loves God. And who has been called according to His purpose. The next couple of verses in Romans... Paul explains what that means to be called according to His purpose. And then goes right into all of this about if God's for us, no one can stand against us. Connected directly to praying prayers according to the will of God. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning that the Lord takes sides. I understand, and I know you do too. People that pray for victory before their football game or their baseball game or their basketball game, the Lord does not care who wins any kind of a game. He may make something happen to accomplish His purpose some way, but that doesn't have anything to do with winning and losing the game unless He wants it to be. But He does what He wants to do. That's for sure. But the Lord does take sides. Uh, it's not, he doesn't take sides between races. He doesn't take sides between the poor and the rich. He doesn't take sides in that way at all. But he takes the side of his people. The world does not want you to think that. While God does not inject himself 
into everything. He does inject himself into human affairs. And unlike the thought that Tracy was talking about in his talk on Wednesday night that God is not involved directly in our lives, the Bible assures us that God is involved directly in our lives. Absolutely. If we believe the Bible at all and the God of the Bible at all, we have to see that. He takes sides. He takes the side of the righteous. He takes the side of the faithful. And so in Psalm 124 and verse 1, which is a song of ascent, as we're going up to the temple of God, so to speak. The psalmist, David, if it had not been that the Lord was on our side, let now Israel say, if it had not been that the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have come over our soul. The swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the, God, be, be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. He says it twice. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. It doesn't matter what the odds are against you. It doesn't matter whether or not the circumstances are insurmountable. It doesn't matter if it looks hopeless. It doesn't matter if the situation is bigger than you are or bigger than you and all of your earthly friends. If you are called according to His purpose, if you love God, and if His will is your will, He is on your side. Paul said, all things work together for good to those who love God. Those who love God are those who keep God's commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's not just, oh, I love God and then I'm going to go about doing whatever I want to do in my life. I'm not going to serve Him. I'm not going to encourage His people. Uh, that's, That's not loving God. But for those who love God, we have access to His throne. And He will fight for us. In Psalm 46, the psalmist picks up a similar tone. And he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. That's Psalm 46 and verse 1. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, you think you've got problems? What about if the earth is removed? What about if the mountains are going into the sea? What about if the waters are troubled and roaring over us? We will not fear. God is our refuge and our strength. And then in verse 7 he says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then in verse 11 he says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. There's a lot to cry about in Jeremiah's day. Most of God's people have turned their back on him. And God was causing Jerusalem 
to fall at the hand of the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. And in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah was in Jerusalem when it was attacked, laid waste, and destroyed. He saw a lot of grief, a lot of trouble in his life. But ultimately, Jeremiah, the faithful prophet, knew that he was not going to lose. Though all of the forces of Babylon be arrayed against Judah and Jerusalem, and though even the people of Jerusalem itself hated him and thrown him in a hole, among other things, and done all sorts of terrible things to him. I tell you what Jeremiah said. The Lord is with me as a dread warrior. The Lord is with me. The New King James Version there says, as a mighty, awesome one. See, God is with us. It doesn't guarantee you're not going to go through hard times. In fact, it practically guarantees that you will go through hard times. Paul tells Timothy to suffer hardship as a soldier. But God will be with you. And rest assured of this. In the end, the victory will be yours. The saints in the book of Revelation, those who were martyred, that were introduced to in Revelation chapter 6 under the fifth seal, those that suffered the Roman persecution, are the very ones that at the end of it all stand on the sea of glass, praising God forever and ever, and enter the heavenly city, and walk beside the river of life, and come at last to the tree of life, and look their Savior in the face. They will see His face, and they will serve Him in eternal victory. The psalmist says in Psalm 60 and verse 12, Through God, we will do valiantly. For it is He who shall tread down our enemies. Let us, as God's people, determine to leave this place today and go out and do valiantly. And I may say to you, please, that that starts with your prayer life. Pray about the things that you're facing. You're facing something. You might be facing a lot of things. We are in my house, I know that. Pray about the things that you're facing. And you will do valiantly. Because God will be with you. There's someone here this morning that does not have access to the God of heaven because you're not his child. No better time than now. Name the name of Jesus. Make him your king. Come confessing his name and turning away from a life of sin. Be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Please come while we stand and sing.